morning, Centerway Church. Good morning, everybody. Um, hello to everybody making their way in, getting coffee, take your time. Um, I'm just going to get started here um, with some announcements for today. Well, just a welcome. My name is Meredith. My husband, Claude, and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway. And I just want to give a welcome to everyone in the room. Um, welcome to everyone joining us live online or anybody that's watching or listening later in the week. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. There might be some of us that are out there prepping, but good for you being in the room today. Um, it'll happen. But first, here we are in God's house. What a good decision. In all seriousness, isn't it amazing to be in God's house together? There's no place I'd rather be. And um, it's so vital and so important um, to our spiritual growth and to community. Um, so uh, welcome to any special guests with us. Um, we want to give you a special welcome. We want you to know we've prayed for you. We are here to serve you. We want to help you any way that we can. Um, we know being at a church for the first time can be a little bit intimidating. Um, maybe you're a little on edge or just have a lot of questions. We want to help you um, however you need help. So if you want to ask me or anybody in the back, or if you see anybody with a lanyard, you can ask any questions that way. Um, in fact, the next few minutes of what I'm going to say are primarily for you, our guests. So those that are here every week, you're just going to have to bear with us. Um, but we want to make sure that you're kind of on the same page um, as everybody else. And so one way that we would like to connect with you is if you would share your information. Now, you might be hesitant to share your information. We're not going to track you down or stalk you. Um, in fact, there is a little card in the seat in front of you, um, and I think it says, so glad you're here. And on that, it actually says the three things that we will do if you share your information. Uh, so full disclosure there. Um, but we would love to share, get your information so that we can connect with you and get feedback from you and find out any personal ways that we can serve you. And that's really it. Um, so that I mentioned that card. That's one of the ways that you can share information. Um, that's right in front of you. If you do that, you can put it in the offering box on your way out in the back right by the door. Um, or the second way to share information, and this goes for anybody that might just even be updating information, is to do it electronically. Um, so if you would like to complete an info card that way, you can do so on the Next Steps page of our website, or you can use an app that we use called the YouVersion app. You may know it as the Bible app. Uh, it's pretty popular these days. Um, but on that app, what's really cool is you can, of course, share your information, but you can take notes. You can follow along with the gathering. You just have to search for our live event, Find Centerway, and um, you can follow along there. The other thing that's cool about the app, for those that are not first-time guests, we would never expect our first-time guests to give, but if you're interested in giving and you want an electronic way to do that, you can do that through the app, of course, website, and um, using the offering envelopes are another way to do that. Um, so today, we are in week six of our series. I almost said new series. It's not really new if we're in week six, is it? Um, but of our series called Built to Be. Um, and so for those that don't know, again, this is primarily to catch everybody up. We are in the book of Nehemiah. We've been in Nehemiah since the fall. We took a little break during Advent and went to Ezra. Um, but here we are in our second of the two series called Built to Be. So we started out being built, and now we're built to be. And this is week six. Um, for those that might be visiting here, uh, there are journals in the back on that back table right behind the production area. And they're free. You can take them. And that it's just the book of Nehemiah. And you're welcome to that. If you're online and you would like a journal, we'll mail you one. You just have to email us. Um, we have resources that go along with every message, every series, and that's just so that we don't walk out of here on a Sunday and just forget everything that we learned, everything that we heard. There are ways you can help apply the scripture text throughout the week, and so some of these resources will help you do that. There are wallpapers for your phone, for your computer. 
or any device. We have a Spotify playlist that has all the songs that we've sung uh, today and all throughout the series, the Built to Be series. Um, we, we have social media that we post on uh, frequently, and we also have our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, and they're incredible. Our team curates those. Um, you can find those on our website, or you can actually subscribe to them, and then they'll be delivered directly to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's an incredible resource. If you want any of the resources that I just mentioned, a great way to find those is on the messages page of our website. It says messages and resources, I believe. Now, if you're here and you're looking to take a next step, uh, that's good. We believe we all have a next step to take. We never stall in our relationship with God. And so even if you're here and you're like, mm, I don't have a relationship with God, I'm not sure I want one, you have a next step too. And we'd love to help you find what that is. Um, but for those of you that are actively looking for a next step, um, there's an area in the back that I believe Claude will be at the end. You can certainly talk to him. And we have a whole page on our website um, that would help you with those. One of the next steps I want to point out is one that's happening right now. And that, or not right now, but we're in a cycle of circles. And circles is what we call our small groups. Um, we've All of the circles have met already once, except for the student circle, which meets for the first time today right after the gathering. Um, so super convenient. Parents of teenagers, you know, our schedules are crazy. And so they're meeting right after the gathering. Um, so have your student hang out here for that. But the ones that have already met, it's been so great. And all we do is we talk about how the message is coming to life in our lives. And it is amazing to see how every single person is applying the text in a different way. And it's really encouraging to hear. It's really fun. We laugh. We have some food. Um, so it's a really low pressure environment. Um, but it's just an incredible way to connect and have some community and also to encourage one each one another. Um, so if you want to sign up for a circle, go to the Next Steps page of our website or in the Next Steps area back there. Um, another good page to check out is the calendar page of our website for upcoming events and activities. There's a lot of stuff coming up. One of those things I will point out is the students, I think, are ice skating tomorrow night. So if you haven't signed up for that and you want to do that, um, please do. So finally, if you have any questions, if you have feedback for us, if you need prayer, anything, um, please reach out. You can certainly track down any one of us here, but if you want to do that during the week, email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. That's the best way um, to get in touch with us. So here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. As soon as I'm done here, I'm going to pray. Claude's going to come up. He's going to speak from the Bible. And then afterwards, we're going to respond to that text through singing and worship. So why don't we pray today? God, we are so thankful for your house. We're so thankful that the church was your idea and what a good idea it was. And we're thankful that we can come here. We can find community. We can walk in feeling broken or in the highest of highs and, um, and know that we're here, we're welcome, and that we're going to meet you. And so I pray that your word would come alive to us today. I pray that as we worship, it would be a sweet sound to your ears and that everything that we do and say here would bring you all the glory and all the praise. God, this is all for you. And so we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Meredith. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. You guys are the people that came out on Super Bowl Sunday. Way to go. There's, there's a lot of people that were 
busy today or watching online or whatever. So good to see you all. Glad that you're here. Um, my name is Claude. Uh, my wife, Meredith, who was just up here, uh, and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. And uh, we're so excited that you chose to be with us this morning, whether this is your regular place of worship or if you're a guest this morning, we uh, hope you feel welcome and uh, are connecting. Uh, we're continuing in our series, as was already mentioned, through the end of the book of Nehemiah. The series uh, is entitled Built to Be, like Meredith said, uh, Built to Be. And today's talk specifically is entitled Worshiping God. So followers of Jesus are built to be worshiping God, built to be worshiping God. And I know every week that we have people in this place that, um, that are at different places in their spiritual journey. Uh, some people trying to navigate and decide whether or not God is even real, all the way up to people that would say that they are committed followers of Jesus and everywhere in between. And so we're grateful that you're with us and, and a, a title um, like worshiping God or the, the thought that we are built to be worshiping God might seem very kind of insider focused, but just uh, kind of bear with us as we talk about the reality that we actually all worship. As human beings wherever we are on our spiritual journey, we worship something. We are all worshipers of something. And I know that that might sound weird, especially if, if you've not been in church circles very often. You might be like, dude, there's nothing in my house that I worship. I don't have a thing I worship. That sounds weird. But what I mean by that is we quite literally, by definition, assign worth to things. Our heart is drawn toward things and we assign worth to them and we leverage uh, as the language we've used before we leverage our time our talent and our treasure toward something as human beings we all assign worth and prioritize things in our lives we prioritize around something the question is in your life is that something god is it God that you prioritize? And, you know, I could use some illustrations because I think it's pretty easy that uh, if you're in Christian circles, if you've been in church a lot, you might, you know, by default be like, yes. <laughs> yes, it's God. That's what I worship. That's the only thing. <laughs> but then if we look at how it is we actually leverage our time, our talent, our treasure, we might be like, well, I mean, God and, <laughs> God and this and this and this, or this, 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 and God, you know, so what does it really look like? And you don't have to give an account to me. It's something for you to contemplate and wrestle with as we kind of move through the text today because we are built to be worshiping God. When we were created, we were created with an affinity to assign worth and bring glory to God. And it's the corruptness of the world and the condition of sin that causes us to love other things, to place idols within our lives that we assign worth to. And whether that's a little physical idol or actually just the way that we place things in an area of elevating it to a place of worship in our life, we do that on a regular basis. Today's pericope or section of scripture is mostly a list of names. It's mostly a list of names, and it can be rather easy uh, to look at these names that are somewhat difficult to pronounce and just sort of skim over them in your Bible or in your scripture journal and uh, assume that there's nothing to learn or to apply to your life as a result of this list of names. However, 
If you've been connected to Centerway for any amount of time, uh, you know that we believe scripture in its entirety reveals truth and that it has the ability to impact our lives if we permit it. And so we're going to pick apart this 26 verses or so. And uh, admittedly, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, if you aren't signed up for them, you ought to. Uh, They'll hone in more on the specifics of the different verses. But for today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the purpose of these 26 verses and spend most of our time focusing in on verse 24. So what you may or may not know is that these names are connected to specific families. And these groupings of families are mentioned actually in the first verse of this chapter. They're revealed as priests and Levites. Priests and Levites. So this is groupings of families. Families, they're an amazing thing, aren't they? (laughs) We all love our family most of the time. (laughs) Um... Sometimes we are just in the midst of our family. We never, we don't choose our families, right? (laughs) We're just born into them. And I know that there are some of us that are very close to our family. Some of us that are not very close to our family. Some of us that would say that maybe they don't really have family by birth. That maybe they've uh, kind of worked their way into relationship with other people and they hold those people closely as family, So wherever you find yourself, the the reality is, as human beings, we're woven into the fabric of other people's lives. Some of us have physical family through blood relatives, and then others of us have friends who are like family and everything in between. Families, like I said, sometimes come with baggage, (laughs) sometimes come with difficulty. But every family has memories, both good and bad, but memories nonetheless. We have inside jokes, shared pain, shared difficulties. We have moments that are kind of connected through traditions. Things that we do every year. Things that we do because we're a part of our family. Or because we're a part of this group of friends that have chosen to do life together. Memories. It's interesting when we talk about memories and this idea of, of phrases and, and thoughts that kind of connect and draw us together. There are certain words that I can say right now just to my family of five, my immediate family. And if I just say that word, they would start laughing. Or a, a certain look that I would give them and they would kind of smirk. Uh, my favorite thing is, uh, you know, my kids are of the age where they're starting to kind of like read my mind a little bit by the facial expressions. And so, you know, we had somebody ride by us uh, in the car the other day and um, we just all started laughing and we all knew what we were laughing at. We didn't have to say anything. It was just like, we have a similar sense of humor and we were all just laughing hysterically. There's other words that I can say that would evoke immediate emotion out of my family because of our shared memories. I could bring up a phrase and be like, Dad, seriously? Seriously? Like, what? I'm just saying a word. I don't know why you're so upset. But we know. You you know what I'm talking about. Those moments, those memories, those shared looks, those things that are specific and unique to our family. And the traditions that we carry on or that we consider whether or not to carry on. For those of you that don't know, um, I'm Hispanic by ethnicity. I'm 90% Iberian. 
Uh, I love the look on the face. Some of you guys aren't very good at geography. So I said Hispanic, and then I said Iberian, and some of you are like, what? He doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) Okay, so this will be fun. No, I'm 90% Iberian, so if you aren't familiar, um, what's called the Iberian Peninsula is Spain and Portugal. And so to be Iberian and Hispanic means that I am from Spain predominantly. So I'm 90% uh, Hispanic from Spain, from the Iberian Peninsula. And uh, I do have ethnicity also, the remaining 10%, uh, partially from Cuba. And so I have a unique blend of traditions that are connected, that are Hispanic in nature, but are really in different parts of the world. An example of that is the way we celebrate Christmas. So the way we celebrate Christmas, one of the kind of traditions of our family is really to lean into Christmas Eve rather than Christmas. And we have a meal, and that meal is a significant meal. And it's a blend of both my Spanish roots as well as my Cuban roots. And there's black beans that are made and rice and pork. And it is this incredible, delicious, amazing meal on Christmas Eve. It is one of the most rich, ridiculous meals to have late at night, and yet we do it all the time. (laughs) We smash and deep fry plantains, platanos, right? If you've never had those. And we just, we eat all the things you should not eat before you fall asleep. (laughs) And it's amazing. And what's incredible is to see my kids desiring that meal. My wife learned how to cook those black beans from my grandmother who learned from her grandmother and it's kind of been passed down and and near the end of her life she articulated that Meredith made it better than she does and it wasn't just a kind thing, it was true. She's incredible. In fact, when we gather together with my family, my family asks that Meredith bring the black beans. So it's amazing how kind of that tradition kind of goes on. It's extended. And now Meredith on the other hand Uh, I don't think has a Hispanic bone in her body. Uh, And so she's mostly, um, her father, I won't go into all the details. The the important thing is there's some tradition connect to her mother. Her mother is uh, Italian. And so her mother is extremely Italian. And so as a result, we have an entirely different, amazing blend of food that gets introduced into the, the rhythm of our lives. And so one of the traditions of our family that's connected to Meredith's side of the family is when we get together after Christmas, they sit in the kitchen and all the grandkids get together and their grandmother walks them through making homemade pasta and makes this incredible homemade pasta and they make the pasta and I just enjoy it. And I'm so grateful that my kids are learning how to do that because I am benefiting on every level. (laughs) And so we have this blend of traditions right? And so now my kids are are in the middle and they have these two kind of what you would say maybe extremes or differences in traditions. And they're saying, what of this will I carry on? What will be the rhythm of my life as we move forward? When they grow up and they get married and their family expands, whatever that looks like, what traditions will they gain from other people, from other friends, from other families? Will they connect into it? You see, they decide what traditions they'll carry on. So in that, all of our families are unique. And you could all come up here and I can actually see from the expressions on your faces, I'm talking about specifically Christmas and and traditions. It's like you guys, some of you are like, oh man, you've got to hear what I do. Uh, Or you're like, I do nothing. Like, my tradition is drive-through. 
you know. <laughs> and so the, the reality is we all have different rhythms that make our family unique, unique. So the question I want us to kind of consider as we move into this portion of text today is what makes your specific family so unique? What makes your specific family so unique? Maybe it's traditions, maybe it's ethnicity, maybe it's the way in which you approach certain things, maybe it's things you don't even want to talk about because you're like, what makes my family unique is best kept a secret. (laughs) We all have something. We all have something large or small that's unique to our families or to our friends who are like family. So we're all faced with a decision at some point in our lives. Will we build on what makes us unique or will we resist it? Will we deny it? There's parts of my ethnicity that have become hurdles for me in the sense that like I I was forced to respond to family members that spoke to me in Spanish, I had to answer them in Spanish. And so as a result, when people speak Spanish to me, I answer in English because I'm an adult now. (laughs) And this is true. It's a hurdle. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. It's in me. I have moments and memories where, you know, I'm in a grocery store and my parents are speaking Spanish to each other and threatening my life in Spanish with a smile on their face, you know, and people are like, oh, honey, look, those parents are speaking to their kids in Spanish. He understands. He's so cute. And they're telling me that, you know, if I don't knock it off, they're going to end my life and they're smiling and I'm confused. Uh, Am I going to die? Those people are watching and they seem happy about it, you know, so there's a lot of conflict that I have in my life around some of the roots that I have, and I'm sure you do too. So the question is, you know, what, what will we resist? What will we deny? What will we lean into? You get my point. We all have decisions when it comes to the role that we'll play in the legacy we leave. What generations beyond us will do how they will live their lives as a result of the way that we've blended what is unique and what is traditions and these memories, they make us who we are. And I want to submit to you a thought that's honestly not very profound, (laughs) but not often thought about or considered. We do the same spiritually. We do the same spiritually. We have perceptions of who God is. We have experiences, both healthy and unhealthy, that our families modeled to us, that feed into what it is that, that we believe about God, how we perceive him. And whether we like it or not, we're actually passing on some of those same perceptions to the generations that are following. They're watching the way we interface with the Lord, the way we interact with God, the way we function one way in one space and another in a different space. And they're trying to negotiate and make sense of it all, whether it's our children or our nieces or our nephews or our grandchildren, our siblings, our parents, you name it. These family units, they're watching how it is that we navigate a relationship with the one that we say is our God. Today's text addresses this reality. The overall purpose or goal of this pericope is to show the fact that the Levitical Service continued throughout generations against all odds. That the Levites continued to function in relationship with the Lord against all odds. 
the locations, the expressions of how it is that they were able to worship God, they may have changed because, again, they were in exile for huge chunks of time. But they're talking about the consistency of the people that were identified as Levites and priests all throughout the generations. They're saying the legacy of worshiping God remains central to the Levites and through them, ultimately, to the Israelites as a people. So something interesting is happening here that's worth noting. In verse 9 and in verse 24, they both make reference to people standing opposite of one another. People standing opposite. They would face each other as they praised and gave thanks to God. That seems odd, maybe, at face value. To be like, so you're telling me that they would just like stand face to face and be like, I love you, Lord. They're like, me too. I love God too. They're like, me too. I love God. You know, I don't know why they have that voice. Because they're Israelites. So, you're welcome. That's how they, no, I'm joking. Some of you are like, whoa, really? No, that is not an Israeli imitation at all. Um, But they, they are facing one another. And it might seem odd, but the text indicates that actually on one side stood the leaders leading them in worship and on the other stood the people. So actually, it's very similar to how we have worship through song as a response to who the Lord is and what he's done. Our worship leaders stand up here and they face the people as we sing and join in. That's not a Western Americanized thing. That's something that goes all the way back to the Old Testament that was modeled by David, potentially one of the greatest worship leaders we know of within scripture, who wrote several of the Psalms, was an accomplished musician. And so we see the, the origin story, the Genesis moment of how it is that we express worship corporately. Very interesting. We see it in verse 24, which I'll read. It says, um, and the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and, Ju- and I always want to say Joshua, but Joshua, Jeshua, there we go, did, nailed it, Joshua, the son of uh, Kedmuel, with their brothers who stood opposite of them, see, opposite of them, to praise and to give thanks. And here is something important. According to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. By watch. So it states that they do this generations later according to the commandment of David, the man of God. Now, David, as I just alluded to prior to reading that verse, David here that's being referred to is actually King David. King David. But he's referred to not as King David. He's referred to as David, the man of God. This is very, very important distinction with profound implications. It's a title typically reserved for prophet. So this specific form of, of Hebrew language is connected to identifying prophets. But it talks about King David not as a king, but as a prophet. You see, something is being communicated here. It says, according to his commandment. So if it said, according to his commandment, King David, then we would know that they worshiped God because the king told them they had to. It would be a clarifying statement. We worship the Lord this way corporately because 
it was according to the commandment of King David, AKA it was an edict. And so that is the way we function, but that's not the case. They did not say that because that's not what they're implying. Or at least that's our interpretation. If they wanted to communicate that, they would have said King David. If they would have said, according to the tradition of David, the man of God, then we would know it's simply a tradition. That it's simply something like our family traditions. That's just a merger. It's something that's been kind of handed down, a merger of of different beliefs and traditions throughout time. And and according to the commandment of King David, this is how we should worship God because it's tradition. But again, that's not the case. By saying it this specific way, the text is clarifying and implying something clearly. By saying, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, that way, what the text is communicating and clarifying is that David is functioning out of total submission to God, that he's not clinging to his title or to his position, but in the midst of it, he's choosing to worship God. So by his worshiping God, there is a commandment that his life is giving as a prophet. That's profound. It's profound because it has implications in the way that we live or don't live our lives. You see, God's faithfulness in David's life compelled these onlookers to follow suit. He functioned as a prophet by revealing the truth of God through worship leading. So there's a question there. Does your life, does my life, and our relationship with God compel younger generations to worship him? It's funny in our society, we're like, listen, you know, it just seems like young people aren't coming to church the way they used to. But what really has happened is that in our society, we have turned what should be a relationship with the living God to a tradition that is either left or engaged. And so we have a question to ask ourselves. Do we desire to have a relationship with God that compels younger generations to say, I have seen the faithfulness of God in my father's life. I've seen his heart compelled and moved as God led him and directed him. And so because of that, because of the way he lives his life, it commands me, it compels me to pursue the faithfulness of God in the manner in which I live my life. Man, that is deep. It's deep because we have a conviction upon us now to say, wait, (laughs) I've decided whether or not to engage in a relationship with God and as a result, other generations, whether they are my children or they're my nieces or nephews or grandchildren, you get the point, my family, my friends that are as close as family. Am I living in a manner that compels them to see the faithfulness of God. Not because it's tradition. You see, because tradition is really an empty choice. Tradition is like, here's the deal. I won't tell you which one, but one of my kids, not a fan of black beans. What? What? I'm like, dude, you would not have survived my childhood. But they're making a decision. Will they carry on that tradition? More than likely, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to be two-thirds with black beans. 
That's okay. It's food, right? But have we lowered the relationship that we have with the living God to the point where it's a mere tradition that can be exited upon comfort or interest? Or have we connected the living God into the fabric of our lives so much so that it doesn't even have to be commanded or expected the way we live our lives and the, the, the view of the faithfulness of God in and through us is a commandment in and of itself. Our worship is a prophetic calling to our children because of the manner in which we prioritize God above other things. And it's not just to our children. How about our spouses? How about our coworkers? How about our classmates? How is it that we're living our lives? You see, this text, it looks like a list of names, but it is very compelling when we connect the dots of generation upon generation of faithfulness, not out of mere rote obligation, but because of the living God. You see, at this point in history, the secret's out. At this point in history, they, they know a lot more than they ever wanted to know about King David. King David was loved and respected, but at this point they know very well that he was not a perfect king. And if you don't know the story of King David, I encourage you to read the story of King David and to lean in to see his imperfections and his flaws. They also know that he was by no means a perfect prophet. He had a lot of flaws as a human being. He had a lot of flaws as a spouse, as a father, as a leader. He was an imperfect person. However, they're honoring the generations that came before them, not because they were perfect, but because they were faithful to God and God was faithful to them. God was worthy to be worshiped. And it was evident in the brokenness of David, the humanity of David. You see, we have to remember the context of chapter 12. We have to realize that we're, we're just coming off of the fact that the, that the people of Israel have gained, have come together. The wall is built. They've read the law and they're realizing how jacked up they are as a nation. They're realizing that, that in every season that they've supposed to lean into God, they've rebelled and they've pursued lesser things. And yet God was faithful and grace-filled and came and forgave them and they moved forward and they see the faithfulness of God throughout generations. You see, they're not peering into a tradition. They're peering into the reality of God being constant through all the pain, through all the ups, through all the downs. God was their anchor. Is God your anchor? Do your children, do your friends, does your family members say, man, you're flawed? Yes, they do. <laughs> and as they look at you and they see your flaws, do they look and say, oh, as imperfect as they are, there's a faithfulness that they have to their God and God has been faithful to them. That in their darkest of moments, they, they're stable. In the midst of their pain, there's a sense of joy and an awareness that there's something steady driving them through it all. Or, or do they see you whiplashed by the worries and cares of the world just as whiplashed as they are? And they go, oh, no, no, there's, there's nothing of depth there. 
It's a tough thing to wrestle with. It's revealing what it is that we've prioritized, what it is that we've modeled, how it is that we live our lives. Like I said before, this list of names in and of itself, it's seemingly uninspiring. (laughs) But they're evidence that godly worship continued and as a result, God was faithful throughout generations. Now, many of the detailed ways in which worship was to take place, as far as sacrifice, etc., at that time, no longer apply. They no longer apply today because Jesus, who, by the way, prophetically, as a Messiah, would come from the lineage of David, whom Jesus did, was the perfect. Jesus was the perfect prophet. He was the perfect priest. He was the perfect king. He was without sin, without blemish. And yet he, as a form of worship to God, laid down his life for our sin. He conquered both sin and grave, and he restored our relationship and access to God, not out of some type of tradition, my gosh, no, but to restore a relationship so that as we worship God, it's no longer a hurdle that we have to get over, but we have direct access because of his sacrifice because of the blood that he shed. And so now we can come boldly to the throne room of God as a child of the living God and say, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. So today, today it's our worship is not because of King David or because of the prophet David. Our worship is because of the person and work of Jesus. That's why we worship. That, that is what ought to compel us to worship. If we understand it, it ought to, I said ought, really weird, right? Ought. For all of you, all of you that are podcasts only, enjoy that. Ought. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I had to acknowledge it. I could see some faces, and if I wouldn't have, I'd have been thinking, ought, ought, ought. What am I, English? That's weird. It's all right. We're all family here. <laughs> it's not because of David. It's because of the person and work of Jesus that we ought to worship. That's why. Worship, this might be profound for some of you. It might be disruptive for some of you. Worship is not for you. Worship is not for us. Worship is for and to God. Worship is for and to God. Now you're like, wait, but sometimes I feel better when I worship. That's okay. It's okay to feel better when you worship because what you're experiencing is the presence of God because he inhabits the praises of his people. That's what scripture says. And so to worship him is for him and yet he, in, he comes and dwells in the midst of that and with his presence comes peace and joy and we experience the freedom available in his presence. But if we truly understand that worship is not for us, then it doesn't have to go through the lens of our preference. Eh, that's annoying. I, and I got to be honest with you, every year that I get older, like the songs that I sang when I was younger are like, aw, like they're kind of endearing. Like I hear an old school song, and I know for some of you, like, old school, that was new. Like, I get it. Vice versa, like there's young and there's old, or whatever. But every once in a while, I'll hear an older song, and, it, and, and it's moving. But the reason why it's moving is because I remember the moment the moments attached to those songs, 
the moments that God met me in that space or at that altar or wherever it might be and so it evokes an emotion. But worship isn't for me. Worship is for God. And so those moments, they're memorials. They're, they're moments that we can point to and say, there's the faithfulness of God. But what remains true is not how we're worshiping, but that we're worshiping. And so we can look back at the Israelites and the manner in which they worship. It has changed, but the thing that has remained the same is that God is faithful and that he's worthy of our praise. If, God is, if worship is for God and not for us, it means that it's not dependent on how we feel. Ah, that's rough. The reason why it's rough is I have said the words like, I don't know, I just don't feel like worshiping. Like, I don't feel like worshiping. Oh, you don't feel like being inconvenienced to sing a song to the one who laid down his life for you, sustains your every day, puts air in your lungs, gives you the grace to survive. Yeah, you probably want to take a nap instead. You know, like, what? What is going on? Why are we so wishy-washy? You know why? It's because we think worship's for us. And so when we don't feel like it, we don't engage. If it's not a song we like, then we don't want to sing it. If, if things aren't going according to our plans, then we're not sure we can even worship today. I mean, things are rough. I'm not even sure God is worthy to be praised. What? That's about you. And you know what? If you look in scripture, King David is being chased by people that God has appointed him to be king over. They are chasing him to kill him. And he is hiding. And he is choosing to worship God. Mind blown. Because we're way too finicky for that. If things are a little bit difficult, if we're a little too tired, if, if we're a little bit frustrated, if we, if we have a little bit of annoyance, we're not sure we can worship. But David is modeling something, and it's certainly not the perfection of his life. He's not the hero of the story. Jesus is. But what King David does in one of the songs that has been written according to this, because it's scriptures, he tells his soul. He tells his soul, worship the Lord, O my soul. What? He's giving a pep talk to his own soul. Why? Because he doesn't feel like it. And so in the midst of the pain and the hurt, he's like, listen, head, get my heart right. Worship him because he's worthy. Oh, my soul, worship God. But I'm broken and I'm running and people betrayed me and I'm fighting for my life. And God said, but it hasn't happened. And he's not fair and blah, 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 blah. No, worship Oh, my soul, worship you. When we get to a place in our life where we would model the faithfulness of God and connect that which we say we know to that which we live out, say, no, God's, he's faithful. Things aren't the way that I want them to be, but some of that is connected to the fallen condition of the world that I surround myself in or the poor choices that I have made. But all of that aside, God is faithful and he is worthy to be praised because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has saved me. He loves me. He's worthy of my praise. Now, I know I'm talking about singing right now, but it is far broader than that. Worship is a lifestyle. And we live our lives in worship toward other things. 
do we live our lives in worship to the Lord? Living as a follower of Jesus, having been transformed by the gospel, means our whole life should be an act of worship to God. And people that are in proximity to you and to me that say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I can really love the Lord. I'm not sure that he's real. Some of what they're saying is an accusation to the way we're living our lives. Just so you know. (laughs) Some of it is saying like, I don't know that I've seen enough evidence of God's faithfulness in your life. I haven't seen enough of you putting an anchor in the ground and being imperfect declared the faithfulness of God. Because that's what they said about King David. Like I said, they knew he was a hot mess. But the manner in which he lived his life compelled them to be commanded to, to lean in to worship the God of heaven and earth. You know, the apostle Paul actually says it best. He says it in Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. And so I wanna read Romans 12, one through two to you. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, get this, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by the testing that you, by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect it's your whole life your whole body all that you are all that you do you were bought with a price is what scripture says and so if this is a, a recalibration of how it is that you live your life then so be it because all that we are should be spiritual worship I have some low-hanging fruit today that I think, honestly, if I'm just being transparent, is a little bit cheesy, but it's far too perfect to not mention, and so cheesy it will be. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. As you already know, I mentioned that. I know some of you don't give a rip about football, and that's okay, but it's the reality of the culture that we're in is that there is a Super Bowl football game today. I don't know this person personally. He may be an absolute hot mess, but again, this is low-hanging fruit, so bear with me. There's a video that's going around of an interview, um, and there's several of them actually, but an interview specifically that, um, I, that I saw and I even shared with some people because it was so compelling. And it's a, a video of uh, Brock Purdy being interviewed by Steve Young. Brock Purdy is the quarterback for the 49ers, and this is in no way... You know, like I said, I don't know him. He might be a terrible person. I I don't really know. And I mean, the 49ers will more than likely win because because Jesus is on the throne. But anyway, um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I I really don't care. Um, But I figured it would be fun. So the thing that's that's interesting and worth mentioning. And, and like I said, admittedly, I think it's it's low hanging fruit and a little bit cheesy, and I wouldn't otherwise do it except it's too perfect based on what I'm speaking about. Brock Purdy said to Steve Young, who is the former, one of the former quarterbacks and Hall of Famer um, of the 49ers, and Steve Young is talking to him. He's like, listen, I know your faith, and it's compelling, and, and how does it connect? It seems almost like you're holding on to this role very loosely. And he actually says the phrase, I wrote it down, I am a Christian who happens to be good at football. It's a profound statement for 
a millionaire at the highest level of his game. And admittedly, he's on a rookie contract. He'll get more money. You understand. (laughs) But he's saying something. And he goes on to say that his identity is not quarterback. It's child of God. I don't know that they'll win. Like I said, I don't know. Okay. All right. That's fine. (laughs) You can clap for him. But I, I don't know that he will win. Like I said, it's not... It's not about that. It's not about a game or anything. It's about somebody at the, at the highest level of athleticism in our world stating something that is often marginalized and lost in our world. And he's using his platform to say, listen, I'm a child of God first. This isn't my identity. And so Steve Young actually looks at him and he says, yeah, you get this sense that like if it all went away tomorrow, you'd be okay with it. And he said, yeah. And that's what gives me peace in some of the biggest moments. Because I'm just playing a game. Like, oh my gosh. Like if we could all grasp that. If we could all get to a place to where we say, listen, my identity and my self-worth is not connected to my performance. It's not connected to the role that I fill. In fact, he says that he's leveraging his platform to give God glory. That's remarkable. And we can sit, we can admire it, we can even clap about it, we can get excited. But then we have to ask this, how about you? How about you? Are you living your life that way? Because you don't have to be a millionaire, you don't have to be on television to be able to communicate that your identity is child of God and not the role that you fill. You can be that type of compelling figure in the life that you live in the the family circles that you function in, in your spheres of influence, are you defined by the roles you fill? Because I'll tell you, you'll never find fulfillment there. You'll always be frustrated that you're not being acknowledged enough, that you're not being appreciated enough, that people don't understand your sacrifice, that people don't understand what it is that you contribute, what it is that you're doing. Instead of getting to a place where if that role was taken from you tomorrow, whatever it might be, that there's still a peace that passes all understanding and a stability in your life because you are first and foremost a child of God. And the role you fill is simply a platform to proclaim his name. That changes everything. It changes everything because we all fill roles. Mom. Dad. Student, grandma, grandpa, boss, coworker. The list goes on. These are all good things. They're all good things, but you can't derive your worth from them. You can't. Because if you derive your worth from them, you will leverage all of your life trying to pursue something lesser than God. You will leverage your time, your talent, and your treasure to stabilize your identity that's apart from God. I'm a good mom, right? I'm a good mom. What do you need? Here, no, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. Yeah, you got it. Here, my time, my talent, my treasure, whatever you need, whatever you need, I will worship you, my child. I will worship you. What? What? My job, what do you need? Oh yeah, interrupt me right now. I mean, you have all that I am. Like, undivided attention. What do you need? Why? I will worship you. 
job, where I define my worth, where I define my value. What? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? Because our hearts are idol factories and we will fall to the lowest common denominator. Why? Because those people, every once in a while, they worship us a little back. And when they do, it feels good. You get the bonus. Mom, I love you. Dad, you're worth it. Oh, you're awesome. And oh man, it fills up that idol factory and we lean in and we roll up our sleeves. And oh, you think I was awesome last week? Check me out this week. And it's a cycle where we're searching and striving for identity apart from what we were created to be because we were built to be worshiping God. And it's amazing if we place God in the center of our lives, how those other roles start to make sense. How all of a sudden we can be the best dad, the best mom, the best coworker. Why? Because our identity is not contingent upon it. So we can hold loosely to it. If it all goes away tomorrow, we're at peace. Why? Because I'm a child of God first, who happens to be a mother, who happens to be a father, who happens to have this job. I'm good at it because I use every role that I play as a platform to proclaim his glory. It's completely contrary to the world, but then again, that should be no surprise. So I ask you, what roles need to be adjusted so that they flow from your identity as child of God? You see, it's only then, it's only then when you've experienced the freedom of that, the freedom of that, that you can ask yourself the application question, And the application question is this, what role is God calling me to fulfill? You see, we need the adjustment first. If we just say, what role is God calling me to fulfill? Then you'll just come away from this say, I need to be a better dad. Oh, I need to be a better whatever. No, this isn't about you trying harder. It's not about you getting up the gumption to do a role better. No, this is about you realizing that Although you are imperfect, Jesus was perfect. And because of his grace and mercy, you can derive your identity as child of God. And so you can see now the missional difference of this question. What role is God calling me to fulfill so that I can use that platform to proclaim his glory? So maybe God is calling you to change your role from father to to spiritual head, from from a wife to loving partner transformed by the gospel, from grandmother to matriarch of the gospel of truth that transformed our generations and our family. Let's start looking at the roles that we play as divine appointments Let's not lessen and marginalize ourselves. No, like you as a worshiper of God are being sent. The roles you fill are not by accident. Your one and only life has purpose. You're not an accident or an afterthought. You are built to be worshiping God. And so are you leveraging every role to bring glory to his name? Let's bow our heads. And as we bow our heads and contemplate the roles that we fill and maybe the roles that need adjusting, I want you to consider 
that maybe for some of you, as we were talking, you're like, I don't know how to navigate the role God has called me to fill because I've never surrendered my life to God. I can't say that I'm a child of God. And so for you today, it begins by making a decision to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And so if, if you're here today and you have not crossed that line of, of salvation, you haven't made the decision to stop being the Lord and leader of your own life and allow the truth of the gospel to impact every role that you fill, then it's not a, a phrase that needs to be repeated or a rote prayer. It's, it's something along the lines of acknowledging that Jesus died the death that you deserve. To say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you died for my sins. Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? Would you forgive me? Help me to, to have eternal perspective on the roles that I fill. If that's you today and you're praying that prayer for the first time, I would love to talk to you about next steps so that this is an emotional response or a, or a last minute decision. And I'll, I'll be at the next steps area. Different people will talk to me about different things. You're always welcome to come and talk to me. Eric will be available up here for prayer at the end. You could talk to him about the decision you've just made. If you're watching online live right now, and you just prayed that prayer and you want to talk to somebody about the next steps or you'd like prayer, you can click request prayer and you'll go into a private chat with one of our pastors. They'll talk to you about next steps and come alongside you. If you're watching or listening later on in the week or in the future, we just welcome you to <clears throat> reach out by email or through our website because we'd love to walk alongside you as well. We're always available. For everyone else that's prayed this prayer, that's in relationship with the Lord? What role is God calling you to fulfill? What role needs to be adjusted so it's a calling from God and not a simple role you just go through? It's a divine appointment. Our identity informs our role. And so if our identity is child of God, it informs the role that we play. Maybe for you, the best way to respond is to journal adjustments that need to be made. To create an altar right where you're at, to just pray and maybe even repent a little bit about what you have made the role you fill to become. For others of us, if you say, listen, I've, I've always had the perspective that I am a Christian that happens to be doing this, that my identity is child of God, then to you I would say, what are you doing missionally to create that legacy? Are you available to say, Lord, send me, send me to my spheres of influence that I would be the hands and feet of joy and mercy and grace, that I would be an extension of a legacy that's being built for eternal things. Not just mere tradition, but a living part of my life. Let's pray before we go into worship in song through song today. Heavenly Father, we come before you <clears throat> and we ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, that you'd reveal the areas of our lives, the corners of our lives that maybe we want to blame on others, that we want to point fingers. But the reality is we've, we've vacated a role that you've called us to fill 
because we've brushed it aside. We haven't viewed it as missional. We haven't acknowledged that you've sent us to spheres of influence. And so today we declare ourselves available and we proclaim that you are worthy to be praised, that you're worthy to be worshiped because we're built to be worshiping you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
can't emphasize enough it's not about us being perfect or above reproach it's about us being authentic with what it is that we're struggling with and allowing the truth of the gospel to be the legacy that people see in and through us so the idea that you're somehow held back because you haven't gotten it together enough to do this that's a lie 
to keep you back. People know how imperfect you are. They want to see the authenticity of your faith. So will you embrace that in the roles you fill? Will we embrace that in the roles we fill? I'm just going to close this in prayer. And uh, then, like I mentioned, Eric will be up here if you want prayer for anything. And uh, I'll be in back if you have questions about next steps. You're free to hang out here a while and drink coffee and eat food and uh, fellowship a little bit. But let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, come before you today knowing that while we were your enemies, that's what, what scripture says, <laughs> while we were your enemies, while we were imperfect, you came and died for us. You drew us close. And so today, Father, I pray that we would experience and realize the freedom of proximity to you. Lord, that we would be transformed by the renewal of our mind, by the truth of the gospel, Lord, that it would inform the manner in which we approach every role that we fill and that we would live on mission for your glory and our joy. And so today, Father, I send each and every one of us into this world on mission. I pray that you'd protect us, bring us back safely next week as we celebrate that which you have done in and through us for your glory, Lord. In your name we pray, amen, amen. See you next week as we continue in our series.